0: okay guys welcome to another jesus rant podcast pastor tom carter word without walls ministry this is episode 26 the name game and what i want to talk about today is not just a couple of the different name changes in the bible but why it's important what was changed from and what was changed to and uh i want to start by reading a passage in Revelation chapter 2, but before I start reading my scripture and really getting into it, uh, I just want to kind of remind us, and we looked at this in another episode when we talked about new things, we looked at the new name, and what it really means is a new nature. Your name is not just, you know, the noise that people make in order to get your attention. Your name is your nature. It's who you are. And I've always said, you are not what people call you, but you are what you answer to. So it's very, very, very important that we know our name and that we understand our name. So let's read Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And this is Jesus speaking the red letters, and he's writing to... One of the churches, uh, a big portion of Revelation is letters or, or uh, exhortations to actual churches that existed at that time, but we can still, you know, bring uh, meaning forward into today for our own lives. That's kind of the whole deal with the Bible is looking at it cross-eyed, looking at it through the lens of the cross, seeing the finished work of Jesus and finding our place in history or his story so it reads but I have a few complaints against you you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel he taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin in a similar way you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching and I kept that part in my reading for today because of what it says next repent of your sin or i will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth when we talked about repenting a couple of weeks ago and how repentance is changing your mind in light of something else in light of new information and in, spiritually speaking in light of the cross um being able to understand and experience the kingdom because of that finished work of Jesus and it's not like saying well I used to do this bad thing but now I'm not going to and of course you know that that becomes a part of it because what you do flows from what you believe but behavior modification doesn't work if you believe right you will do right because what you do flows from what you believe so I love the part in there about the teachings that uh, Jesus had against the church because When I believe when he said, repent of your sin, he was talking about those teachings. And what we allow people to teach us, or what we learn, or what we accept, or what we study, or what we focus on, really manifests itself in our lives. What you magnify in your life is what will manifest in your life. What you feed is what will grow. So if we have the wrong teachings, that to me is what sin is. Sin is unbelief. Sin is believing anything other than the gospel, the ultimate truth of the universe, Uh, God is love and he loves you. The father loveth the son and has given all things into his hands. When we start believing anything other than that, to me, that's what sin is. And then those, uh, those quote unquote, bad deeds or bad behavior flows from the wrong believing. So that's why I left that in there. And I really like when he says, uh, repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Jesus doesn't say, repent or I'm gonna get you. He says, repent or I'm gonna come in and I'm gonna do what needs to be done to get you back on track. He's never against us, our God is for us. He's not mad at us, he's mad about us. And that's something that seems to get lost a lot of the times where, you know, even all the way back to the misty garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when, when they disobeyed God, they hid from him because they thought he was going to be mad at them and punish him. When, in fact, he never said, I'm going to punish you. He simply said, if you eat from the tree of death, you will surely die. And to me, that makes sense, because what else could come from the tree of death but but death? So he says, repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. I will fight against those wrong teachings. I will fight against that sin. I will fight against the wrong believing with the sword of my mouth with the word of my mouth, which is Jesus, which is love. I will come to you suddenly, and I will defeat your enemies by showing you the truth. And when you know the truth, you can ignore the lie. The truth that you know and believe will let you experience the freedom that God has given to you. So it goes on to say, and this is really, this is what I wanted for tonight. I just wanted to kind of back up and and hopefully add a little substance with, with the first half there. It says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. And again, to me, that's the contrast. If you're listening to wrong teachings, you're going to do you know, wrong things. But if you listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches, then you will be right where you need to be. It says, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. And I kind of went into this a little bit when when I ranted on this before, about how I believe that there's one stone, one white stone with one name written on it. And the name written on the stone is Jesus. That's the name that he gives to those who have an ear to hear, those who are, uh, um, what does it say? Victorious. Yeah. Those who are able to know and believe the truth and ignore the lie because Jesus is our, you know, he's our true nature. He's our true identity. He's our, he's our true name. He's our new name. And no one understands it except him who receives it because you, you can't understand Jesus until you do, if that makes any sense. Like you. God in the flesh, love in a body, it's hard to understand that when you're always looking for love in all the wrong places. It's not until you hear that still small voice, it's not until you be still and know that He is God, that you can really understand and receive that white stone with the new name written on it, which again is Jesus. So that hopefully will be our background for today, kind of our foundation for today, where we can see that we have been given this white stone with this new name we are victorious on the cross jesus fought the war to end all wars which means there are no more wars for us to fight the the fight that the new testament talks about is the good fight of faith which is simply laying hold of the gift that we've been given which is eternal life laying hold of it through our faith the good fight of faith is is won by faith which means believing that we have already been given that gift, receiving it and releasing it, putting it to good use. Um, Basically, being who we are by knowing who we are. And the only way that we can know who we are is by knowing who God is. And that, to me, seems to be a problem that a lot of people in the Bible struggled with. They didn't know who they were. They didn't understand their place in things. And a lot of times, the way that God fixed that was to change their names, to to change their nature, to show them who they really are uh, by showing them who he really is. And there's three examples that I want to use today. I want to use the example of Jacob, Abram, and Saul. And I'm going to try to cut through a lot of this stuff for the sake of brevity. You guys know my gorilla Gospel hit and run uh, strategy here for this, this podcast. But uh, we're going to start with Jacob. And in Genesis chapter 32, we see Jacob wrestling with God. And I heard a really good sermon one time about how it wasn't so much Jacob trying to hold on to God, but it was God holding on to Jacob. And that was that was really good, uh, enlightening stuff. But like I said, I want to cut through a lot of this, so we're going to get to the end of it. And it's really interesting to me that uh, when, when Jacob is wrestling with God, the scripture says, refers to God as the man. So to me I'm pretty sure this was J- Jesus, like God in the flesh, love in a body, the son of man and the son of God, which yeah, I have a podcast episode in mind about about what that means to be both the son of God and the son of man, but we'll get to that when we get to that. So Genesis 32:27 and 28 reads like this. What is your name? the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And this is important because the name Jacob is number 3290 in Strong's Hebrew concordance, and it means heel catcher, that is, supplanter. And if you know the history of Jacob in the Bible, he was he, he was a con artist. He was a swindler. He was always trying to get ahead um at the expense of everybody else, usually at the expense of his older brother, Esau. And that's kind of why they named him that, because he, when, when Esau was, his twin brother Esau, was born, Jacob's hand came out and, and grabbed his heel, and that's why he was the heel catcher. He was always trying to uh, get to the front of the line. He was always trying to supplant his brother, even to the point of stealing Esau's birthright and blessing. So... And, and, and I think a lot of us feel that way in our lives, like, if I don't take care of me, who will? I got to get ahead. I got to do what I got to do. And if somebody else gets hurt, well, sorry, that's just collateral damage. There's not much I can do about that. I got to take care of myself. So in order for him to step into his destiny as God had intended for him, he needed a shift. He needed a change. He needed a victory. And that's where, you know, uh, the man said, from now on you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. He was victorious. He had the ear to hear that we saw in the book of Revelation. And when he, he says, from now on you will be called Israel,
1: the word Israel
0: there is number three, four, seven, eight in Strong's Hebrew Concordance, and it means he will rule as God. Jacob went from trying to get ahead on his own for his own selfish purposes to literally being a prince of God, to being God's representative on the earth. And from Jacob, from Israel, came all of the 12 tribes of Israel that were God's chosen people. This this shift is so monumental and so vitally important for us to see that when we stop struggling and stop fighting and stop trying to make our own way, that's when we will be able to rule as God. And I know that that can sound a little suspect to some people who think, you know, God is is so great and mighty and I'm just a worm and there's so much separation, but there is no separation between God and man. God lives in man. That was his whole plan and his whole design. He said, I don't want a tabernacle built by hands. I want you to be my tabernacle. I'm going to live in you. You will rule as God because God is ruling in you and through you and as you. And that's the shift that took place. But it's so interesting to me that this happened in Genesis chapter 32. He said, the man, Jesus, said, from now on you will be called Israel. But in the Bible, he isn't. He's still referred to as Jacob all the way until Genesis chapter 35, verse 21. And we're going to back up with a couple of verses and we're going to see what happens to finally make that name change permanent. To finally, uh, when, when Jacob finally uh, accepts or understands or uh, receives his new name or his new nature. So Genesis chapter 35, starting with verse 19, it reads, So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. And then Genesis 35, 21 in the King James Version immediately says, And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Edar. So the thing that happened to change, quote unquote, to change Jacob to Israel was the death of Rachel. And I once heard a sermon talk about how in order to fully live up to your potential in God, you have to give away the thing that you love the most. And I hated it. I hated every minute of it. My spirit rose up in complete and total disagreement with that. Because God does not want you to suffer. God does not want you to have to give up everything you love in your life. God does not want you to have a bad, hard life. And there's this this religious idea where you have to uh you know, sell everything you have and give it all to the poor and live in poverty. Guys, God is God is okay with you having stuff. He blesses all of his people. He makes them prosperous. What God has a problem with is when your stuff has you, when you're not willing to give it up if you were called to give it up, and it, it like like it. I, f- I remember sitting in that pew and like just I was so angry that what was being preached from the pulpit was you have to lose the thing that you love in order to be who God wants you to be. And and, and here's my revelation of this this story because I guess on the surface it could kind of look at that it wasn't until uh, his wife who he loved died that he could be who he was. But watch this. The name Rachel is number 7353 in Strong's Hebrew concordance, and it means an ewe, or a sheep, or a female lamb. So what really happened in type and shadow in this Old Testament story, because remember, the New Covenant is Jesus revealed, and the the New Testament is is Jesus revealed, and the Old Testament is Jesus concealed. Everything in the Old Testament is, is just type and shadow of Jesus. So what really happened was when Rachel died, the ewe died, the lamb died, Jesus died. this is type and shadow of the cross. It wasn't until the cross happened and then the Holy Spirit came uh, and dwelt in us that we could then journey on in our true identity. It wasn't about giving up anything because Jacob didn't give up Rachel. she died in childbirth. That was a kind of a a natural thing that happened. Jacob didn't sacrifice her. I don't think he would have. Jacob worked a long time to get Rachel. And that's a whole nother story for a whole nother time. But the point is, is that in order to be who you truly are, you need a revelation of the death of the lamb. And uh, I think that's what we see when it says Jacob set up a stone monument over Rachel's grave, and it can be seen there to this day. He understood what it meant for Rachel to die. And in the same way, it's important for us to understand what it means for Jesus to die and and be buried and rise again. Because if it's his name and he's giving it to us, then his death, burial, and resurrection is what, I guess you would say, kind of activates that in our lives. So let's move. uh, I kind of want to move quickly. So let's go to Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. And this is about Abram having his name changed to Abraham. And it reads, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Serve me faithfully and live a blameless life. I will make a covenant with you, by which I will guarantee to give you countless descendants. At this, Abram fell face down on the ground. Then God said, This is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. What's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And I will give the entire land of Canaan, where you now live as a foreigner, to you and your descendants. It will be their possession forever, and I will be their God. So what's interesting to me here is that the name Abram is number 48 in Strong's Hebrew Concordance, and it means High Father. And Abraham is number 85 in Strong's Hebrew Concordance, and it means Father of a Multitude. So, it's kind of a subtle shift, but an important one, because Abram, as we know, we looked at this when, when we talked about the Father of Faith, uh, he was promised a son, and instead of trusting God to do it, because he was old, 99 years old, uh, and I believe it's the book of Hebrews that says he, he, he was as good as dead, there was no way that life could come from, from this old man, uh, he, he, and yet he tried to take a shortcut when his wife, Sarah, laughed about the promise and said, there's no way that's happening, we're too old we're too old farts. We can't make a baby. Why don't you go, you know, make a baby with, with my handmaid, and then God's uh, promise will be fulfilled in that way. And Ab- Abram did. Abraham did. But that wasn't what God wanted. So there was a shift that was needed, even, even in Abraham's faith. And that's what we talked about in that podcast, was uh, Abraham, the father of faith, his faith growing, through, through the things that he went through, through the promises that God gave to him, and learning to trust God, learning to believe in those promises, learning to understand that he didn't have to do it himself. And so he went from high father, which he may or may not have been able to achieve, through his own human efforts, his earthly efforts, almost in the same way that uh, Jacob thought he could achieve everything he wanted to through his own human efforts, his own earthly efforts, he went from that, from being a high father with an illegitimate child to being the father of a multitude, to, to, to living in and walking in and experiencing the fullness of God's promise to him by letting God perform what God promised. And to me, that's so important for us to understand that if God says it, he will do it and the fact that he wants to include us in that promise is is really pretty amazing, pretty awesome. Like if 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 God says I'm going to do this thing, but I'm going to bring you along for the ride, go along for the ride. It's a good ride. It's it it, it will get you where you need to go. And if you can uh flow, if you can uh I guess float in the water that's carrying you to where God wants you to be, that's so much easier than than trying to swim upstream. God knows where He wants you to go and He knows the best way to get you there. God knows how uh, things should be. He knows the thoughts that He thinks towards us, thoughts of peace and not of evil for an expected end. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows where to go and how to get there. So when when He said, this is my covenant with you, I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, that was the shift. That was the name change. Um, it wasn't just going to be the one illegitimate son. It was going to be an incorruptible seed that God could then uh, journey with, in a sense, for, for generations. He's, and, and again, you know, in verse 6, he said, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. God is not adverse to you having things. He wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to live the good life. Again, the problem is, like like the whole story with the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to to earn uh, you know, eternal life or salvation? And Jesus said, well, follow all the commandments to this, this, and this. And the rich young ruler said, oh, I've done that my whole life. That's no problem. That's easy. And Jesus said, well, sell what you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler had a problem with that because he liked being a rich young ruler. And that's why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man, you know, to to get into heaven. Not because he's rich, but because because his focus is on being rich. Being rich is okay as long as you can use it for what you're supposed to use it for. I talk a lot about how we are blessed to be a blessing. If you're unwilling to share the abundance that God has given you, that's when it's a problem. You don't have to give away the thing you love in order to be a quote-unquote good Christian. God wants you to have the things that you love in your life. But what he doesn't want is, like, I really think the best way to say it is, it's okay to have stuff, but it's not okay for stuff to have you. If, If you're controlled by the things that you have instead of by God's love, That's where the problem is. So now let's jump way ahead to the book of Acts and look at the last one. And I'm really going to try to cut this one down because uh, the story of Saul's conversion, it's pretty long and it's pretty involved. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but it is important. So let's start with Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 9 and it reads, as he, Saul, was approaching Damascus on this mission. Well, you know what, let's back up a little bit, because it's important to understand what his mission is. We'll just start with verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Saul thought he was doing God's work by persecuting Jesus' followers, as twisted as that seems. But that's the way a lot of the religious people of the day were because the way, or Christianity, was brand new and totally radical. And anytime anybody has something new, there's usually a lot of opposition to it. So Saul thought he was God's man. He went to the high priest. He was—he—he he thought he was right in line, and he was doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing. He thought he had it all figured out. He was self-righteous to the max. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and can't nobody tell me different? So then we get to verse 3. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And again, these are the red letters, as we're going to see in a minute. Uh, This is is Jesus. Because in verse 5, it goes on to say, Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, I'm the one you're persecuting, when in fact it was his followers. There's no separation in God's mind between himself and his people. Uh, You know, when Jesus told the parable about whatever you do unto the least of them, you do unto the king, he's always made this uh, truth very evident that I and my father are one. There's no separation between God and man because God lives in man. He's, uh, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and eager to kill the Lord's followers. And then Jesus said, you're persecuting me by persecuting my followers because I live in my followers. So it goes on and says, Jesus says, Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. And obviously, you know, anytime you see three days in the Bible, that's that's very important that's the death burial and resurrection of Jesus but uh, what's important to me here is that Paul was I mean Saul Saul at this time he, he was blinded he was black he literally blinded by the light he thought he could see what to do but he was so uh, backwards and messed up and twisted that he was literally persecuting Jesus and if you go on, well, we, I guess we're doing okay on time. We can read down a little bit more. So starting with verse 10, it says, Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street, which I love because, you know, the the narrow way is the straight way that leads to life. So I don't think it's coincidence that that's where Saul was was. He was li- living after he had seen the light, he was blind, but he was living on a street called straight. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision uh, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So the point was not blinding Saul. That was part of the point, that was an important part of it. Because the Bible talks a lot about, like, one of Jesus's most, I guess, common miracles was giving sight to the blind. Like, he did that a lot. That seemed to be one of the things that he really liked to do. One time, there was even a guy who who didn't have eyeballs for whatever reason. And Jesus made eyeballs out of the mud and the clay and put them in the man's eye sockets and, and restored his sight. Like, Jesus was all about giving sight to the blind. And even here, that's what he's doing. The problem here is that Saul or yeah Saul was blinded to his blindness. Saul didn't know that he was blind. Saul thought he was doing what he was supposed to be doing and his self-righteousness was off the charts. He was so secure in his mission that it literally took an act of God to to knock him off his donkey, to knock him off his high horse, to get him to a place where he could actually hear that still small voice. That was deep inside him so it's like there's a passage in the Bible that that talks about uh, if you're blind you need your sight restored but if you can see you need to be blind and I've had a lot of questions about that even recently about like well, what are we talking about here and I believe what we're talking about is if you're blind you know that you're blind so you can you can have your your sight healed but if you think you can see, then you need to first... It's almost like check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's almost like if you don't know that you're blind, you need to really be blinded to the point where you're blinded by the light, where you can't see anything. And it's almost like you can, you can be reset, in a sense, to, to let go of all of your uh, preconceived notions and your misconceptions. And that's what needed to happen to Saul. He needed to go from a guy who thought he was seeing clearly to a guy who couldn't see at all, so that when his eyes were then opened, he could see clearly, so that when when the light shined, it wouldn't blind him anymore, because he, he, he was able to see in the Spirit. He was able to see things as they truly are. And when we get ahead to... Okay, so Ananias goes and he uh, give, he, he, he heals Saul's sight. And I really want to cut through some of this. So we'll go over to Acts chapter 13 and I want to read verse nine. It says, then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy ghost, set his eyes on him. There was like this, the Bible kind of like, it kind of calls him a, a, a wizard in, in, in Acts chapter 13 or a sorcerer. And I don't want to get into all of that right now, But to me, the important part is, is that at this point, Paul was able to set his eyes on the true problem, on on the true, uh, I guess, enemy of God, you could say, in a sense. And there had been such a shift that instead of looking at Jesus's followers at the enemy, as the enemy, excuse me, uh, Paul could now finally set his eyes where they belonged and do the mission that Jesus had called him to. And the word, the name Saul in, uh, in this verse in Acts chapter 13, if you take it all the way back to its root in, in the Hebrew, it's number 7592 in Strong's Hebrew concordance, and it means to demand. And that's kind of who, who Saul was. He demanded that the high priest, uh, empower him to do his mission. He demanded that people believe the way he believed or else. He wasn't open-minded to this new thing, this new way. Uh, He he knew what he knew, and he he was good with what he knew, and he was happy with what he knew, and what he knew was what mattered to him, and he demanded that everybody else fall into line with him or else. And then his his name, after being blinded by the light, and after being knocked off his donkey, and after being blinded and then having his his true sight restored when you get to the word Paul it's number 3972 in Strong's Creek concordance and it means little or humble and that's like to me that's such a, a a complete opposite change to his to his very nature to his character to who he was where he went from demanding things to being little to being humble and Paul even wrote of himself later on in the scriptures as the chief of all sinners. He's like, I was the worst of the worst. And through God's grace, he was still able to use me. So what we see here, to me, is is a very dramatic shift, much like the shift that, uh, that Jacob went through when, when the Lamb died and Israel was able to journey on. When, when you go from being a supplanter to being he who rules as God, when you go from being a demander to someone who is little or or humble, somebody who in their own mind, uh, I know I can't do this by myself, but it's God doing it in me and through me and as me. And that's the only reason that I can do anything that has to do with anything. When you get to that place where your complete and total reliance is on God, that's how you rule as God. It's not just invoking God's name and doing whatever you want. It's letting God do what he wants to do in you and through you and as you. It's being still and knowing that he is God. It's trusting God to do what God wants to do. And not only trusting in him to do it, but giving him the opportunity to do it. Saying, here I am, Lord, choose me. Letting I, I have such a big problem with people trying to follow in Jesus' footsteps because nobody can live Jesus' life except Jesus. So instead of trying to follow in his footsteps and messing up and and getting, you know, upset with ourselves and frustrated and all these things, what we need to do is we need to just let Jesus make his own footsteps and his own footprints with our feet. What we need to do is one more time is just be still and know that he is God. Understand that we are victorious because he won the victory. Understand that we have that white stone with his name written on it, the name that nobody understands until they receive it. So what it behooves us to do is receive it. What it behooves us to do is to see God as he is, because as he is, so are we in this world. To understand that you are not what people call you, but you are what you answer to. If you let people define you, by your mistakes or by your by your actions or 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 by anything, then you're not being who God created you to be. But if you listen to that still small voice, if you let God define you, then you will know and understand and accept and be the righteousness of God in Christ every day in every way. On your worst day, when you've messed up more than you ever had before, you're still the righteousness of God in Christ. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can I change your identity except God. And I believe that really what God does when he changes your name is he simply reveals your true name to you. He just brings you back to the way things were always supposed to be before you let everything or anything else define you. So when you're looking at yourself and when you're looking at other people, Stop looking at the bad stuff. Stop looking at the surface and look a little deeper inside. Find that light inside. The deep calls out to the deep and the light in me will connect to the light in you if if you let it. So instead of building walls, we need to build bridges. Instead of uh, persecuting each other like Saul was doing, we need to encourage each other like Paul always did. We need to stop demanding things and we need to be humble. I know all things because I have an unction from the Holy Ghost but I'm still learning to understand everything that I know Um, which is to say I may have said some things in my life that were the wrong thing just because I didn't have a complete understanding of the things that I know and that's okay I'm learning I'm growing I'm uh, sinking in to to the the garment that God has put on me I'm sinking into the full armor of God Uh, it's a, it's a maturation process and it is a process. So we need to understand that in this journey, we're all in this together and we can help each other. You know, the old saying, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We can help each other. We can support each other. We can, uh, we can call each other the right name instead of the wrong name. And we can call ourselves the right name and, and we can then be who we are instead of who anybody else uh, kind of tries to define us as or tells us to be. So that's what I have for this week. Uh, as always, thank you to all of the listeners and all of the supporters. Um, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Okay, well, if you enjoyed that, I want to invite you to check out my website, jesusrant.com. You can get my daily rants on there. You can uh, get the my books that I've written on there. They're also on Amazon. I have an author's page on Amazon. Um, I've written a lot of books. I'm pretty proud of them. You can order them. I try to keep them cheap because I don't like to pay a lot of money for books, and I don't think people should have to pay a lot of money for mine. So check that out. Um, if you want to support the podcast itself, you can find it on anchor.fm. If you just search for Jesus Rant, um, you can support it monetarily. You can support it by uh, liking it, sharing it, subscribing to it, and you can su- you can support it Excuse me, by word of mouth, by telling people about it, uh, helping other people listen, find it, and listen to it. And uh, thank you once again, as always, for spending your time to listen to it, to uh, to help me to get the word out, which, you know, as we know by now is, is my heart, is just getting this word out, Word Without Walls Ministry. Um, so just thank you for your support. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Amen.